Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... Unforgiven. So I've been uh, doing this thing, Eric, where I've been inviting people over for double features. Well, thanks for the invites. <laughs> it, you know, if you were if you were closer, we would be doing this every week. I'm sure. It's been fun. We've been me and Florian have been doing the double feature based on our little film club topic, and then with some other friends, we've been doing martial arts double features, Sweet. like once a month. Yeah, not martial arts features you would like to watch because they're all Jackie Chan, Michelle Yeoh movies oh, from Hong Kong. <laughs> Communist propaganda, I guess. The People's <laughs> Republic of China. <laughs> well, this is pre-takeover. <laughs> We're watching some classics. Uh, I do want to talk about the two that we watched just last weekend, which were awesome. We've been doing a Michelle Yeoh kind of retrospective since um, she just won Best Actress. So we watched her first film, Yes, Madam, a while ago. And this week we watched Royal Warriors, which is her second real movie. Uh, it's from 1986, directed by David Chung, and it's kind of a sequel to Yes, Madam, which, um, since you probably don't know any of this, but she, there was like a Girls with Guns. No, Madam, I do not. <laughs> there was a Girls with Guns sort of subgenre in Hong Kong martial arts in the 80s and 90s, and it was kicked off by Yes, Madam, who had Michelle Yeoh just uh, as a cool police officer and Cynthia the Rothrock, and they were just... Uh, oh, Cynthia. Yeah, catching criminals and fighting criminals and it was really cool the sequel is more the same except uh probably slightly better i really like the action in this one i think any hong kong movie movie from the 80s and 90s is just going to automatically be four stars for me because the action is just so crazy and so good and they were doing things that have never been done before and will probably never be done again because that's a that time has passed (laughs) It's unfortunate, but there was some. It's some really great uh, choreography in this one. Michelle Yeoh versus well, Chainsaw. It's great. Can you give me an example of something that wouldn't be done again? Just the the uh, disregard for the safety of the stunt people oh, in the human movies. Life? Yes, yeah, <laughs> that it was just a time and place that they were uh, audiences were craving it, and they were people were willing to do it, and ever since China took over the film industry in Hong Kong, it hasn't been the same (laughs) and no other country really allows that or has the skill to do that, you know, because these people grew up as we're training uh, to be acrobats since they were kids. You know, a lot of the the stunt men and and stunt men and stunt women in these movies, but yeah, great stuff. Uh, Michelle Yeoh didn't even know martial arts before she started making movies, she was a dancer and she just kind of uh, learned by um, you know, memorizing the moves. Cause it's kind of like dancing. I was going to say martial cool. arts is the dance of lethality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the, the second half of this double feature was Jackie Chan's drunken master, his first huge hit. Uh, I know you're not a huge fan of the Hong Kong Jackie Chan. I think I made you watch one or two. Uh, I believe I watched one of the police movies, Super Cop or something. Yeah, 
<laughs> yes, could be. There's Police Story and there's Police Story 3 Super Cop. So you might have seen one or the other. But um, Drunken Master is uh, 78. So early on in his career, this is his first hit. It was his first comedic kung fu movie before that. they All his movies were... The producers were trying to get him to be the next Bruce Lee, which is a little more serious than we, the Jackie we know and love. But this is a movie that um, he kind of just went off on his own with Yuen Woping, the choreographer for The Matrix, and uh, made this like very goofy, comedic, insanely uh, endearing and fun martial arts movie. Uh, it's got the great training sequences with like the old master making Jackie Chan do incredibly painful and horrible things to his body in order to learn martial arts. <laughs> it's like an hour of training sequences like that. <laughs> and then awesome. just like, yeah, just like beating up It'd random be a good montage where Jackie Chan is just getting the crap beat out of him. Yes, exactly. And uh, you know, the camera work, you and Ping is, does great things with the camera work. Just, you know, it would, like start with a close up of like some cool move from the fight and then like zoom out and then zoom out even more and the camera will follow the whole fight. It's really cool. It's uh I haven't seen choreography filmed like that before. And I guess they were really maybe he was trying to do it so they can see that Jackie Chan and Co were doing all this stuff for real without cutting, <laughs> which is cool. Cool. But yeah, it was it was great fun. Everyone lo- loved the double feature. We'll continue watching martial arts movies soon yeah just rub it in that's cool yeah yeah well maybe if you uh move back to new jersey i'll invite you (laughs) (laughs) how about you anything good i saw a very new film unlike your 50 year old movies that you're now apparently watching um (laughs) i saw guardians of the galaxy volume three volume three okay don't spoil it i got tickets for two days from now I won't spoil it. I'll just say that I really, really enjoyed it. And it's at the top of the phase four Marvel, which probably isn't a high mountain to climb, Not really. <laughs> um, but it is, it was very good. And I think, I think what Marvel needs to do is start going back to more self-contained stories. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are implications for the future, but kind of like in phase one, where all of that stuff was probably i think frankenstein into this like retroactively uh oh they were always going for thanos i think they need to get back to that whereas like yeah stuff Mm -hmm. from iron man one was very important but i don't think like those movies stayed kind of in their own lanes and then came together uh and this was more like that where I wouldn't be shocked if looking back in a couple of years when we're at the new, you know, Avengers Kang dynasty or secret wars, that things in this movie were important, but Mm -hmm. it stood on its own. Um, And I also think it was a great lesson in subverting expectations because things didn't end the way I would have thought they were. This is basically the final movie of the guardians of the galaxy, um, Mm -hmm. at least as they were currently constructed. And I kind of uh, I think a lot of people thought things were going to go a certain way and they did not go in that way at all. And it was still very satisfying. It was I don't want to go on a big Star Wars episode eight rant um, (laughs) where the big thing was I wanted to subvert expectations. But it happened in a way that a lot of fans uh, very much disagreed with because they don't 
make sense with people's conceptions of these characters. Uh, mm-hmm. I think James Gunn did a fantastic job of subverting expectations in a way that actually still made sense and stayed true to the characters and what the choices they made and where they went with it. Okay, cool. That's very cool to hear. I was very excited for this. Guardians 2 was one of my favorite Marvel movies. And the fact that this is going to be the last ride of this group was very exciting. I love endings. <laughs> you know, they can't just keep making characters go on and on forever. Well, they can. Interesting without getting into spoilers uh, to see what, how, how final the ending is for okay. these characters. Um, and I, you know, I always have one thing that bothers me and sometimes it's the thing, but here, here's my, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Okay. I'm listening. The one ding I would give this movie is that the soundtrack was not good. Wow. They're known for great soundtracks. That's so exactly it. I feel like it's yeah. a valid criticism. Um, the first two movies were all like kind of seventies, eighties soft rock. Mm-hmm. A lot of times like in volume two, uh, Brandy by Looking Glass plays like an actual important role in the film. It's a whole metaphor used by Ego, the living planet to describe Mm -hmm. him and how he thinks of Peter uh, as, you know, in their relationship with humanity and the the universe. I just didn't catch that in this movie that the songs kind of like, I don't know, maybe I would have to go back and, and look at what the songs are saying, but it was, kind of a different genre of music altogether. And it just didn't seem to really, really get me to groove like the last couple albums. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'll let you but know next, next time. Still a great movie. Yeah. I thought I'll be yeah, interested to hear your thoughts on it. I always liked James Gunn's visual style because he knows that you have to have interesting, weird things on screen for a movie like this. Uh, he did it with, guardians of the galaxy one and two and the suicide squad uh and i think that's lacking from a lot of the other marvel or big superhero movies so yeah, yeah. i like i like them. i think it's a pretty big loss for marvel that he's probably not going to be involved anymore and yep. i'm interested to see what happens with the dc universe now that he's basically the kevin feige of dc right yeah then dc didn't have i don't know who was in charge of dc beforehand but basically it didn't well didn't feel like anybody <laughs> Zack snyder kind of sorta but not really yeah right yeah yeah um i don't know i will say uh i already disagree with keeping ezra miller as the flash because he oh, is yes. a piece of human garbage and i think <laughs> that james gunn should have got him out of there but you know who am i to say yeah, I was I I haven't been following much as to what's happening after the Flash movie because I know they filmed the Flash before all this stuff came to light. So I don't know if they have plans to, you know, recast him for future movies or if he's coming back or they don't. Okay. Yeah, so I, I agree with your sentiment there. That's odd. Or at least that's my age. understanding. I thought I read something about um Ezra Miller just staying on as the Flash and I was like, No, he mm. no. Yeah, it's it's going to put a weird taste in our mouths <laughs> to watch that movie. I feel like Ezra uh, Miller's done that to a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Yes, there you go. Setting you up. <laughs> Bike. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, good. I'm glad you got to go to the theater. I'm excited. I'll let you know soon what I think. <laughs> 
Is there uh, any other movies you want to talk about? Not besides what we had planned for the podcast. Oh yes. Well, let's let's jump into it. What what movie did I pick off of your watch list for last week? You picked the film Unforgiven, written and directed by well, actually not written and directed by. Directed by Clint Eastwood, uh written by David Webb Peoples. Mm. And I guess my my summation is a widower, a black cowboy, and an annoying half-blind kid walk into a bar. Two hours and ten minutes later, I'm almost bored to sleep. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I don't know yeah. why. This movie is rated an 8.2 on IMDb, and I don't get it. I feel like it was trying to say something. It's the classic tale of uh, an aged cowboy or... Uh, miscreant as it were clint eastwood mm-hmm. plays the movie first of all starts with a crawl like not really star wars esque, but <laughs> no, that kind no. of thing where it's yeah. just like telling you the history of this character who uh I, I it's actually told from his dead wife's point of view i guess mm-hmm. or the mother of his dead wife who yeah the crawl starts the with mother. like yeah this woman married a piece of shit and right. her mom was mad about it. And then she died of smallpox. Right. And then it, you know, it's kind of a cool opening shot of him uh, digging her grave. And then mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood is this old pig farmer, I guess, with two small children. And uh, a young buck comes to him and says he heard uh, a rumor about him being a real badass from his uncle. And he wants to go kill these cowboys who I guess that's the... Um, Kind of the real opening scene is this. These two two guys in a brothel and one guy starts freaking out and cutting up a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're going to kill these guys. And I think the movie's trying to say something, but I'll be damned if I can figure out what it is. <laughs> so I always knew just I I haven't seen it before. And I always knew kind of its reputation as uh, like a deconstruction of the Western myth of this character that clint eastwood has played throughout his whole career and how this movie is like that character looking back upon um that life that and kind of examining it and coming to terms with it and that's what i thought the movie was about and i i see that when i watch it for sure i was gonna say one of the things that was maddening to me is like it was you're watching this movie and it's like you're supposed to know who these characters are and mm-hmm. you don't like you're told that Clint Eastwood was a bad person, but he mm-hmm. has no skills. Like he can barely get on a goddamn horse. He's like, <laughs> he's always falling down yeah. where he's shooting at this can and he just can't hit it. I don't know if you have experience with guns. I don't have a lot of experience with guns, but I've shot None. them enough. I come from a, a very pro to a family. I've shot guns. <laughs> you don't just get that bad at it. If you're ever good. <laughs> like he almost can't hit a barn and i'm just like right, right. what is this well my, my takeaway from that uh without any experience with firearms is that he was good um back in his youth because he was drunk and didn't care and now that he's given up whiskey for the past decade i guess his mind is different his muscles are different Nobody and, is good at anything drunk that they wouldn't be better than sober. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing okay, that well, involves aim or agility in any In way. the real world. In the real like, world. Yes, so I can see that. <laughs> but do you, so if, 
if you had seen a lot of Clint Eastwood's previous westerns, I was where wondering. he played a char- that character. Do you think the movie would make more sense, like it's thematically at least? No. Okay. Because there's no. This isn't. I think it's trying to be a morality tale, but I still don't know. The lesson is garbled. I don't know what the lesson here is. Mm-hmm. There's no. At least in the. the the one time I saw it, uh, I finished it like two hours ago, so I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, there's no, there's no lesson that Clint Eastwood learns at the end of the movie. Uh, he gets mad because so okay, let's let's go back to the plot. Um, yeah, there's Gene Hackman playing an absolute shithead sheriff who rules this yes. town with a weird sense of justice that doesn't exist or make any sense. This whole movie didn't have to happen if Gene Hackman had any kind of uh, consistent moral compass. Right. The, the I, only uh, thing I get out of the there is that he yeah. hates people with guns <laughs> because he lets these two guys who started basically cutting up a prostitute go. He's like, Oh, that's totally cool. Give him a couple horses. You're fine. Yeah. Cause you ruined the guy's property give him some horses yeah yeah and but even before that he was just gonna whip them before he was like you know what give him horses instead yeah but anyone who goes into his town with the balls to have a gun he like literally beats the shit out of them and tries to kill them it doesn't make any sense well i think the uh the two scenes of him taking out people with guns one was the guy he had a history with the british guy yeah who they had a run in you know, in the past, I guess they they run, ran together, and uh, Gene Hackman hated that character. So I think that's why he made an example of him. And the other one was Clint Eastwood, who was too sick to give to his comply. gun up was, to comply. Was really a, uh, a police allegory that was relevant today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, but I agree that I felt like a lot of scenes were stagey in that way. Like they're staging this these yeah. scenes of. Uh, evilness uh, that didn't need to be there uh, organically. Yeah, I just, agree with that. It doesn't, if I'm looking at the Gene Hackman character, yeah. the guy who is beating the shit out of Clint Eastwood, who he thinks is just a random guy. It's raining real hard. So he might not have seen the sign. And he even says mm-hmm. that, yeah. that guy would not let those two guys go. It's so inconsistent with his character. Mm-hmm. Like he would have just beat the shit out of and or killed those guys. There's no way he would have <laughs> let the two guys who were the impetus for this entire movie just like, all right, I guess I give him some horses. You're cool. Bye. So that kind of bothered me. Yeah, I, um, I see that. I do. Yeah. There was a lot of boredom. Like the movie was so slow, but we still didn't get to know much about these characters other than what I said in my little joke. <laughs> Clint Eastwood yeah, I, used to be a drunk and he was a bad person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan Freeman is just kind of there. <laughs> and there's this like hotshot kid who is clearly full of shit and can barely see, I guess. Right. Right. And who just wants to kill people. And I guess if anything, he's maybe the moral to the story. Yeah. Because at the end, when he finally does kill somebody, he realizes that uh, this is not something that's good or easy or something he wants to do. Yeah. So I guess long story short, eventually about an hour and 45 minutes into a two hour and 10 minute movie, they finally kill these two guys. 
Uh, Morgan Freeman kind of chickens out and decides to go home after they confront one of them. Mm -hmm. He gets killed. Clint Eastwood gets hammered and takes out a whole town full of people, which was the only entertaining part of the movie. But again, (laughs) if he's the main character and he's the one you're supposed to be like teaching a lesson through in this uh, morality tale, he learns nothing. Yeah, I think he that's gets drunk think... and goes back to his old ways and everything turns out great for him, apparently, <laughs> because, you know, there, it ends with another little scroll of the oh, mom I going to visit her one. daughter's <laughs> grave. And it's like uh, he probably went to California and made a good living doing dry goods. And it's like, so he learned nothing. <laughs> yeah. Nobody yes. learns anything in this movie and it's dumb and I hated it. Well, I I'll push back a little bit. The, I think the point is that nobody learns anything that this character was trying to go the straight and narrow. Well, then what the hell did we learn watching it as an audience? What was the point? The point is there is no point. No, no, not that there's no point, but that this character, uh, well, okay. The, the closing, uh, (laughs) I was going to say that, you know, that you go back, that a person like that who killed his entire life, um, you can't run away from that. Like he's always going to fall back upon that way of life. But then the closing crawl goes against that. So I can see your point. Yeah. I just don't know what they were really trying to accomplish with this. If that's what they were going or like violence begets violence or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, Clint Eastwood either had to die or learn a lesson. And the lesson he really would have learned is I guess I should keep drinking because it makes me cool. And now I'm successful. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was sober before and literally in pig shit (laughs) with a bunch of diseased fevered pigs. Yes. Couldn't do shit, (laughs) but I took the money and now I'm in San Francisco living the high life. Cause I got wasted and killed a town full of assholes. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, Contrary to what you might think, I am mostly on board with you here. While watching it, I couldn't really get behind um, or understand what it was trying to say besides uh, besides showing this Western legend myth uh, in the later years of that character's life and making it just completely different than what you see in other Westerns, like the scene where they first kill the first guy, they shoot him and, and you just kind of sit with these characters for five minutes while the guy slowly dies. And it's very agonizing to watch Yeah, and very sad. Like, I like that. I like those things. I like the fact that Clint Eastwood can no longer like get on a horse and then he gets sick from, you know, just riding in the rain. Like those are interesting things to kind of think about this character that was just like murdering people through his whole life and feared. Mm -hmm. And now is just a sad old man trying to do the same things, but you're right that I don't think it besides a few scenes of that showcase that idea, everything else is very muddy. I agree. Yeah. We needed to spend more time with him. I think, Mm -hmm. um, seeing him try to be a good person or just not have, uh, unfortunately for me, the only part of the movie I found entertaining, mm -hmm. maybe have that end differently or just not happen. 
you know, because it's know. it's a, an interesting concept to examine. Like, there's kind of these points in the movie where they're pointing out, was he really that much of a badass? Like when the kid is like, well, there's no way he would have gotten taken if his gun didn't jam or something like that. Uh, when he mm-hmm. first gets confronted by the sheriff, you know, was he a mythologized person who was never really doing all of these things that that are cool or, right. you know, kind of examining um the effects of idolizing someone like that. Mm-hmm. Or and they, and, and yeah. they kind of do that with the English Bob character because the British assassin that comes to collect the bounty on these guys uh, has a, an author following him, writing a <laughs> book about his life, <laughs> the Duke of death, the duck of death, which is kind yes. of funny. Gene Hackman's character always made fun of him. Um, and then there's a scene where Gene Hackman tells the true story of what happened in one of the chapters of this book, which is much less exciting or heroic than the the uh, Duke of Death <laughs> made it look like. So they kind of do that with the English Bob character, but maybe yeah, if they and did that, that would have been them. great foreshadowing if it turns out that the all the stuff about Clint Eastwood was bullshit or only half true or whatever. But it uh-huh. turns out, no, he really is just a badass. As long as he's he's a drunken master, I suppose you would say. <laughs> right, the drunken master. Yeah, he he is a teetotaler for most of the movie until the end when he finds out that his friend Morgan Freeman has been killed. Then he drinks the whiskey and gets revenge. Yeah, and that is definitely a choice. Like they're trying, they're trying to say something with that scene, that ending, and I am unsure. And I walked away from this movie unsure as well as to what it was trying to do. I liked it more than you did, but uh, it didn't quite gel mostly for me because I think there's a lot of other side characters and side things that didn't really pertain too much to what the movie was supposed to be about. I think like Mm -hmm. English Bob and the author, there's a lot of scenes with that author that I was not quite sure what they were trying to do there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I guess the other problem is if you're creating a morality tale, like I wouldn't question that everybody except for maybe, um, and you can make an argument that Ned Mm -hmm. should have died too, but everyone, like I was on board with everyone who died getting killed. They were all shitheads. Yes. Yes. There was no gray area there. (laughs) He apparently was a shithead. I mean, you kind of feel bad because he has some kids, but like, you know. But he left those kids for weeks on their own, and they're like under ten years old. Which I don't know what life was like in the eighteen eighties. But he's just like, see you, kids. Got to go kill some some guys. Isn't that what your parents did to you <laughs> growing up? We did grow up in the Wild West. <laughs> no, I, but I agree. I thought I chuckled at that, thinking, well, it's the Wild West. That's what you do. You leave your kids in the middle of nowhere, and you have you know your neighbor from ten miles away go check in on them once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the other part I had with like this kind of being a morality tale is that I don't feel bad. And, and at one point, um, the prostitute who had gotten her face cut up in the beginning of the movie was like, I can't believe they really killed him and seemed sad about it. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be sad about that. <laughs> right, you should. Like, I was trying to murder you. <laughs> I, I do like that they did try to put some... Um gray areas into the script like the the one who didn't the the one guy who didn't cut her up but was helping um 
they really try to make him look like, okay, he was just in the wrong place with the wrong guy at the wrong time. You know, he's trying to make up. He got this really great horse to give to the prostitute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he seems like a nice, likable character besides what he did. So they're trying, and, and then they make his death the most agonizing one. Yeah, like that was interesting, but it was still yeah. like lost in the the mud of what what are you trying to tell me here? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So and I was uh, thank you for bringing that up because I was wondering like part of the reason Unforgiven was on my list um is because I don't have a strong background in westerns, but it seems like something based on the few that I've seen and loved that like mm. I want to get into. Yeah. So maybe if I had more of a background, but I don't know. It just, it seemed to have narrative issues to me just on its own. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I wonder how I would feel if I had grown up with this character or seen a lot more movies than I've actually have seen um, involving this archetype. And I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm aware enough to think that I might like it a little more. But as it stands, I'm kind of middle of the road on it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. There were some really well-executed scenes I liked. I keep talking about the death scene. I like the cinematography. I think some of the performances are a little stilted. <laughs> like Clint Eastwood's line delivery. It's almost like he's trying to make his character like the least heroic character there is. <laughs> um, I don't know. And it, Good production design. There's a lot of good things about it, for sure. So... I'm kind of middle of the road. I gave it three stars. Yeah, I would give it a two, I guess. Mm-hmm. 1.5 to two. Because, okay, yeah, well. th- there were some scenes like the directing was good. It looked mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like the script basically at all. Yeah. Okay. I think we're mostly in agreement. I do. I think I'm going to watch this movie when I'm like 60 years old and see if I appreciate it more. Because it did remind me of... Um, did you, have you seen The Irishman? Scorsese's The Irishman? I have not. So it reminded me of that. And I really like The Irishman, which is a an examination of, you know, the, the lives, uh, looking back on the lives of these mobsters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of their life. And the difference between The Irishman and Unforgiven is that in The Irishman, you get to see them in their youth, all the way up till they're old, old men. And then you kind of get them looking back on this nostalgic time. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's four hours long. And that's why it's much more impactful in my mind than Unforgiven was. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much more time on this movie. Okay. But (laughs) we needed to spend more time with Clint Eastwood because I still don't know if he gave up the life because he didn't like it or because his wife made him or what. (laughs) Right. He seems very thankful. Even at the end of the movie, that little scrawl says, you know, uh, Mrs. Feathers mom didn't still didn't know why her daughter married this rough and tumble cowboy kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't know either. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I don't know. He seemed very thankful that his wife did this for him, but you're right. Maybe it was, we don't, yeah, we don't like know. He's still we trying to like not drink. He's trying to raise his kids. He's trying to be an honest man, mm-hmm. but why did he give it up? Does he have regrets about his past at the end of the movie? I still don't even know that he actually regretted his past or mm-hmm. if he just gave it up for love. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So what did, did this inspire you to watch? Well, I had to go back and watch uh, an older Clint Eastwood movie where he played the archetypal character that this was trying to deconstruct. So I went back and watched the first film, the first like Western that he starred in, uh, Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars from 1964. We almost someday will watch the same movie. <laughs> I, 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 was, I thought this might be it, but no, it's not. It was not. <laughs> So this is the first of the Man With No Name trilogy. Uh, uh, A Few Dollars More and Good, Bad, and the Ugly being the latter two. And it stars Clint Eastwood as the Man With No Name. This is clearly based off of the wandering samurai movies, Kurosawa and uh, Blind Swordsman movies like that, where it's just some uh, nameless warrior walking into a town and then kind of dealing with whatever's going on in the town and then leaving <laughs> in this particular town, there's two warring gangs who are uh, basically there is in Mexico and they're, they're running arms over the border and there are two gangs that are doing it, trying to get control of this town and Clint Eastwood's in the middle of it. And he decides to kind of play them off each other and make a lot of money doing it. He's the best gunfighter anybody has ever seen. When it comes to, you know, uh, one on five shootouts, he'll kill five people before they even draw a gun. So he's like stone cold killer. Um, and for a while in the movie, I was really enjoying it, by the way. It's it's super cool. Great music. Just looks great. And that's Clint Eastwood. Kind of, that's the movie that I was hoping on. For yeah. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood at this age uh, in 1964 is like just super cool it's just a cool dude you know and he um is at first i thought that he was just going to play them off each other and just be a scoundrel for the whole movie and then just walk away with all his money after killing a bunch of people but then there's this um subplot about this woman who one of the mob bosses is in love with and he had kidnapped her away from her son and clint eastwood is then tries to kind of uh help them escape I won't go into too much details of what happens, but just know that at the end of the movie, he wanders off away from this town, having, you know, done all the heroic things that he can do. <laughs> it has really cool uh, direction from Sergio Leone, like those close-ups you all see in Western movies, like the, the eyes and the shootouts. Like this is feel- where it was born, really. This is his, his first Western. Um and you can see the pieces of it forming. And I really like that it was 90 minutes of just like walk into a town, uh, have some action, have some drama, and then walk away. And then we can, uh, I'm excited to watch another movie where, where I get to see the same character do the same thing at a different town, theoretically. Yeah, just roving <laughs> town to town and yeah. killing everyone. <laughs> right, right. Killing everyone, maybe helping out somebody. Uh, very colorful characters too. All these like authentic looking character actors from, you know, Mexico, I'm assuming. Um, really, really cool. Just look, looking film, really cool vibe. I enjoyed it. Cool. So how about you? I went a completely different direction. I had been scrolling through Netflix uh, a few weeks ago, just trying to find something to watch. And I stumbled upon something that, I'd never seen before. And I was like, Oh, 
maybe I'll watch that someday. I should I should watch that. And mm. when you picked a Western, I was like, well, here's my chance. This is this is somebody's telling me that I need to watch. Finally, The mm-hmm. Quick and the Dead, uh, oh, directed cool. by Sam Raimi, written by Simon Moore. Have you seen it? Yes, I saw it recently, actually. So, yeah, 1995, pretty early Raimi. Um, and I got to see Gene Hackman being a total shithead in two movies <laughs> on the same day because I watched both of these movies today. <laughs> I really liked the first probably two thirds of this film. It is basically Mortal Kombat. Um, right. Sharon Stone goes to this town. <laughs> they're having a gunfight competition. There are all of these characters who are gunfighters who have the these cool like flares and personal affectations. I, I really liked getting to know a lot of these characters, even the shitheads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, listen to this cast. Amazing. Oh, Sharon Stone, yeah. who, uh, I like Sharon Stone. I'm not sure she was the gal for this movie. There hmm. are a couple parts where her, her delivery, like you need almost a female Arnold Schwarzenegger because in the beginning of this movie, there's a couple one-liners and mm-hmm. she just like, didn't really pull it off. I felt like, um, she was great the rest of it, but just I feel like you needed somebody with snappier dialogue, which maybe doesn't really didn't exist at that time in the 90s uh-huh. with a female actress. I can't even think of someone right uh, now who I would Sigourney, nominate. maybe maybe Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so anyway, Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman plays like the sheriff mayor of this town who's a real piece of shit. Yeah, Russell Crowe, like really early Russell Crowe. I'm wondering if this is if not his first, like one of the, the first major roles he had. Leo DiCaprio was like a 19-year-old kid. Uh, Tobin Bell, so the saw guy is in it, is one of the, <laughs> yeah. the, the gunfighters. The the creepy neighbor from Home Alone plays the doctor. Oh, Keith yeah. David. Yeah, Keith David, who is uh, the baritone-voiced black guy in a lot of movies, Men at Work, things like that. Lance Henriksen plays uh this cool guy he walks in he's got this deck of cards and he's like hey you want to play me in poker and he does this cool card trick and like the card fan thing and he's good i add an ace to the deck every time i kill someone it's all pieces <laughs> basically yeah. the whole deck such a fun fun first two-thirds i think the problem is it's kind of uneven um i felt like the last third tried to get dramatic uh mm-hmm. you know that the um Sharon Stone character is there to kill the Gene Hackman character. And then there are these kind of flashbacks and it gets really dramatic. But up until then, the movie is kind of fun and cartoony. Mm -hmm. He does so many of these weird (laughs) Dutch angle, fast zoom, zoom in dolly outs. If I see another one, I'm probably going to lose my mind (laughs) be committed and or throw up everywhere. Um, just the way it's shot is like really cartoony and weird, but then all of a sudden it's very dramatic and mm-hmm. there's four guys. It's the four people, you know, are going to be left at the end, Leo DiCaprio, right. Gene, and you don't want any of them except for Gene Hackman to die. And yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> not sad in a fulfilling kind of way. If that makes sense. Okay. okay. And the whole end of the movie just makes no sense. Ah, uh, do you remember it? I do. I do. They they fake Sharon Stone's death. Uh, she mm-hmm. ends up having to fight Russell Crowe, who is this 
He's a former (laughs) compatriot of Gene Hackman, who Hackman treated poorly and made him kill a priest. So he's taken a vow of um, nonviolence. But Gene Hackman, of course, forces him to fight in this this gunfight tournament. Um, They fake Sharon Stone's death. Gene Hackman has killed his son, who is the Leonardo DiCaprio character, who for some reason had like barrels of dynamite that he was using as a bed. Um, very early in the movie and i don't know it just doesn't make sense they use the dynamite to blow up half the town and then sharon stone gunfights gene hackman but i'm like why wouldn't she just kill him she was just gonna kill him earlier in the movie like why is she all of a sudden there was no reason for her to be honorable i guess especially when gene hackman was being a real piece of shit and continually changing the rules the whole time Oh, that's true. <laughs> what I love about the, that movie is just the, the verve and style of Sam Raimi on display. I, love yeah, I loved like, that part of it. Um, I did like think how, like, if you're going to have a tonal shift like that in the movie, though, I feel like mm-hmm. uh, the final gunshot with Gene Hackman, it gets really cartoony. And I'm like, but this is a dramatic moment. You've made the the switch to like drama. Mm-hmm. But she shoots him and then there's like, you can literally see through his body yes, like yep. through the bullet hole. And then she shoots him in the head and he does like a double backflip. Like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I can you see that. To but... learn to rein it in, but you can definitely see like shades of like Spider-Man. Some, uh, right. you know, when he has that one shot uh, where Peter's going to get punched by flash thompson and it does that cool thing where it goes through the the fly and the slow motion there Uh were like shades of parts of that you could almost see the evolution watching this movie to him becoming uh, a more competent director i think i think he had it at that point for to for me i was a competent director since evil dead one maybe competence (laughs) not the right word just kind of knowing when to pull back and when to to let things not be not to indulge your zany kind of quirky tendencies yeah that's something that sam raimi uh is very much in love with and i can see him maybe going overboard sometimes but i do admire that I don't know how many how many uh you know one-on-one gunfights uh duels there were in this movie and everyone is like shot in a weird different way to like or something interesting happens like how do you make a movie about 20 gun duels and still make it interesting <laughs> like he managed to do that which is cool Yeah Yeah I I did think he over relied on that one Dutch angle quick <laughs> zoom in but I mean that is classic Raimi Right. That like yeah. fast snap zoom kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it got to be a bit much because a bunch of the gunfights did that where I was just okay. like dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> I'll have to watch it again. Uh, you're a little fresher than me, but I remember not having an issue with the tone shift. But I, I trust your opinion on this one. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I would give it a three, maybe a three and a half of five. Mm. I'm going to see what I gave it. But I I feel like I just really enjoyed the first two thirds of the movie so much more Mm -hmm. than the last, than the end. Right. So I gave it a four and a half. Wow. Yeah, I really liked it. Oh, a four. Sorry, I gave it a four. (laughs) I still really liked it. We're not that far off. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot Gary Sinise was in it. Gary Sinise plays her father, who yeah. she also killed. Right, I know. Because of Gene Hackman. Because she couldn't shoot the, the... She couldn't shoot the rope. She couldn't shoot the rope. Gene Hackman uh, basically ties up her dad, who is the local marshal, um, and puts him on a stool and gives her the opportunity to shoot the rope uh, from under him, which she did earlier in the movie to save the priest's life, who is played by Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, but she couldn't do it. She actually shoots her father in the face instead. <laughs> Don't laugh. It's supposed to be sad. <laughs> it was supposed to be sad. Uh, so, um, are you still into Westerns after this double feature? I am because the ones that I've seen and liked, um, I've really liked, and I still want to see those kind of Westerns. Okay. You know, I don't know if Django Unchained counts, but I really liked that. I know I've yeah, seen a couple that's... more. What's that? Django, def- Django definitely counts. It was, you know, based off of the the Sergio Leone type movies that I just watched with the uh, Fistful yeah, of Dollars. Um, yeah. I'm kind of blanking on the other ones that have inspired me to want to watch more Westerns, but I know mm. they exist and that I've seen them. I just can't. <laughs> that's fine. We'll, we'll have to think of some more to watch. <laughs> so, Eric... Are you ready to pick a movie for next episode? I have already picked it. Oh, I'm excited. So this is off of my wish list. This is off of your watch list on Letterboxd. Yes. I'm keeping it 90s. Okay. It's a movie that I can't believe neither of us have seen, especially given that it's directed by John McTiernan. Oh. Do you have a guess? Is it The Last Boy Scout? Uh, come on, I've seen that a million times. I don't I'm know. I've never just... made you watch it. <laughs> well, it's directed by Tony Scott. Okay, no, uh, I don't know. The Hunt for Red October. Oh, okay, okay. Are we doing just uh, very these classic like action movies from like the same time period? I'm excited. This is. Uh, one that I've always heard good things about. Yeah, I just I can't believe neither one of us has seen it. Yeah, and John McTiernan has never made a movie I've not liked. <laughs> so <laughs> we will He's see. phenomenal. Sean Connery, this is probably like peak con man over there. Yep. <laughs> you have peak con man. Oh, it's got a great cast. James L. Jones, Alec, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin, Sam, Sam Neill, Tim Curry. What the hell is Tim Curry doing in this? <laughs> Ellen Skarsgård, who I've come to really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. I'm very Good. excited. I feel like I know the name Courtney B. Vance as well. Yeah, that's definitely one of those people that uh, um, I know from somewhere. <laughs> oh, he was in Detox, a uh, Such Sights to See classic. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, we'll... Uh... It's like one of the many iterations of that uh, Tom Clancy character. Is it really? Oh, okay. Yeah, no. it's... Uh, what's his name? Jack Ryan. Oh, yeah. There was like Alec a bunch of those Jack in the Ryan. 90s. Like, the, yep. what was that Harrison Ford movie, Air Force One? Was that another one of them? Oh, it could be. It could be. 
the new TV show starring Jim from The Office. <laughs> what a weird career tra- trajectory he has had. <laughs> I, I admire the hell out of it. He yeah, was almost just, Captain America. It's it's just, it's it's weird, but yeah, he did it. <laughs> you know, he did it. Him. He pulled it off. He went from like nerdy office guy to uh, basically stand in for Captain America. He's and uh, same like Chris Pratt kind of did that too. Yeah, he basically Chris Pratt's character was the Jim character. Yeah, correct. <laughs> like they're the same show, basically. Such sights to see, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.